uh, and it says to close all tabs. And I'll be absolutely frank with you, I have about 80 tabs open. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to my life. (laughs) In a bike race, does it really matter who has the fastest time? Or is winning measured by how much fun you have? Enduro racing embodies what so many of us view as the ultimate day of riding. That's casual conversations at the app, full pin on the down, and fist bumps, high fives with new and old homies. No one has nailed this formula better than Aussie native, now BC resident, and badass event organizer, Megan Rose. Sure, what she organizes is bike races, but what's really going on here is summer camp for adults. On this episode of Talk Yeti Me, Megan and I get into what it really takes to organize multi-day enduro races, like the Trans-BC and the Trans-New Zealand. We learn how the mountains have won her over, why it's essential to give free beer at the finish line, and how her deep connection with the mountain communities she lives and races in allows her to create some of the most epic blind race events on the planet. Racer ready? (laughs) Just kidding. Drop in whenever you're ready. Well, I mean, I'm just excited that you have taken the time. I love how yesterday when I was texting you, it was like, um, so how long does this thing take? Okay, about an hour. Well, what if I put in my ear pods? Can we just do it then? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I like that because it's like a, te- like that is a statement of who you are. It's just like the most efficient at logistics. It's just like, okay, so I can get this done and do this. I got 80 tabs open. Well, you know, um, we were going to do it in the evening and I thought it might be exciting to do it while I'm doing my one hour climb up my local mountain. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, this really works a whole lot easier at home. Megan, thank you for sitting down for this hour <laughs> to do this podcast. What uh, you've got eighty tabs open. What do eighty tabs look like? What, oh, I don't know. Range from all sorts of things. Things that I start and don't finish, and get distracted from, and then I keep it open to remind me to go back. And then some stay open all summer. And um, yeah. Anyway. Um, that's I, I it's a it's a task I'm trying to be better at, but clearly I'm not getting any better. <laughs> oh, it's just like I keep thinking I was actually going through a bunch of emails before we pop this thing up and it's like I've got I just typed in Megan Rose and there's like all this trans BC from like everything from even being a volunteer to racing. Um once the race starts, there's a lot of people that work for you, but you're basically the only one putting it all together in the off seasons, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. So it's just uh, it's just me in my home office, um, and I do all the prep for the events um, for leading into it. And I have about a team of forty volunteers um, at each of the trans events. Um, and I'd say they're they're very much like family. Um, they keep coming back every year, and it kind of is is somewhat harder to get on the volunteer team than get an entry to race it. But yeah, so I do all the prep for each of the departments, let's say course crew, medics, media, all the different areas. And I'll just do all the logistics for them, hand them a folder at the beginning of the week. And yeah, they're kind of then on their own to to do what they do during the event. Oh, we got to dive into that. And that's actually how I know you is racing Enduro Series and then the Trans BC. But just to paint the picture here. So you're in Kimberley now, got a house in Kimberley. We've also got a house in Revelstoke. So BC is home, mm-hmm. but you're from the outback Australia. How the heck did you get here? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say the outback, but yeah, from a, from quite a small town. 
just like every Aussie, it's came 20 years ago for a ski season and came back for another ski season. Then came back and stayed for a summer and then dabbled into the mountain biking. And then it was, yeah, that was kind of it. It just won me. The mountains won me. Long story short, I ended up uh, pretty much being here for most of the last 20 years. Definitely the first part was on and off and year here, year there. But um, but yeah, now I'm a citizen and, and call Canada home. It's just great. Did you get into mountain bike racing? And I remember you talking about eco challenges. Was it the eco challenge vibe that was kind of your entry into the race world? Or or what does that look like? I didn't do an eco challenge, but but yeah, I was just living in Whistler and just kind of was dabbling into the mountain bike. And I guess, yeah, it started with adventure racing and we were just doing those local kind of MoMA series around the Sea to Sky area there. And I think it just kind of took off from from that point. And really, then I guess I guess I, was, I moved to North Vancouver when I really truly kind of got into mountain biking. And you know, it's kind of this two feet in or you're out kind of attitude back mm-hmm. back when the North Shore was still kind of the North Shore. Yeah, and I guess everything just kind of went from there. And it was just a, a passion and love, and and it kind of still is, however many years later. Early on, do you have a race that you that you did that you'd think back on and just be like, that was the moment that I knew I needed to run races? Was there something efficiency-wise or someone did a really good job? Does something stand out? Ooh, I don't know. Good point. I guess I was just doing that MoMA series and then I went down to Costa Rica and did that three-day uh, La Ruta. And that was, I guess, the first summer I was into mountain biking and then was just just random trail runs, different cross country races throughout the shore. And I guess like my, my degree was in event management, and I basically quit university when I first went to Canada, and didn't think I was going to go back. Um, and then I was just working seasonal work in in Whistler, and it was just that moment of of you know years deep into this of of just sitting there. And I actually remember that moment of just sitting on the bus commuting from Squamish to Whistler going, what am I doing with my life? What direction am I going to take? What do I want to do? And uh, yeah, I don't know. The the realization was, well, I kind of want to run events. I had no idea at that point what type of events or what I wanted to do, but that just kind of sparked an interest. And then it was like, well, it was kind of what I was studying. Maybe I should finish my degree. And two months later, I was back in Australia, re-enrolled and finishing my degree. How did you know that Enduro was going to take off the way that it has? I think, uh, and and I'm still not sure why it happened this way, considering BC is such a big mountain bike mecca. But at the time I was doing the summers, Canadian winters down in New Zealand, um, a few different reasons kind of led me down there. And Enduro races had started down there before BC. And it it was kind of an odd thought and... Yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure why, but things, they were just getting ramped up and it was probably the f- the year before the EWS series started. I was kind of over XC racing and just looking for something different and I could just see the hype around it in New Zealand and then kind of come back to BC and was wondering why things hadn't started here yet. Yeah, and I was just in limbo from a job that I was in for four years trying to figure out what's next. And to be honest, I think what really started it was the... There was a North Vancouver XEDH um, combined race that was going, I don't know, 10 years deep. The owners of that decided they were kind of not really wanting to continue it. And I had just basically, it was all just one sentence. Hey, if you guys are ever done with this event, I'd be keen to take it over. And then right at that time, 
they, I got the email to say it's yours. And so that's where I kind of took that on and then added the Endura aspect. And I guess that was probably one of the first ones in BC. Yeah. And then there was just the hype. Everyone was, was super excited about it. And within a couple of weeks of that, decided that I would try to somehow take on a BC Endura series and create whatever that was going to be and just kind of put it out there. And then it just grew from there, I guess. Well, that's crazy. So North Vancouver, that was maybe the first event. And then how did it grow from there? Did, did you know you wanted to call it the BC Enduro Series? Like it was going to be BC specific or what did the next step look like? It was, so that, that event was um, June 2013. And then literally within the next month, I didn't really, I guess BC Enduro Series just really sounded like the easiest avenue to go. So people kind of knew what it was. But to be honest, I'd never traveled to the interior. I had no idea on any riding location or what all these communities had to offer at the time. And I also didn't know if someone else was planning this idea. So I just put out a post on Pinkbike and said, hey, you see Enduro Series coming 2014, um, some tentative locations, chose some random towns in BC. And <laughs> uh, to be honest, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> Great. So I kind of rolled with it. And then... And then from that post, I got just a bunch of people from the interior contacted me and said, hey, uh, how do we get on your list? I'm like, well, I don't really know. Um, Maybe maybe I'll come see what trails you have. And so I did, by the end of that summer, I did a three-week road trip of the interior and hit up every single mountain town there was, meeting all sorts of amazing people and riding all the best of the best trails in every community and and had to select five five locations was kind of where I felt like was a good number. And I ended up with 10 and <laughs> I didn't want to give up any of those locations. So I created it all and created a West and an East since BC is so big. I was like, well, I'll just do it all and I'll see what sticks and I'll see, <laughs> see how, how to figure it out from there. Yeah. And how well, like, what was the registration like? Was it right off the start? Did everyone just book it up? Did like, people no. bought in from the start? No, I, I, that's where I think I got blindsided. I was like, this is the next latest and greatest and it's going to be like a no brainer and people are going to be stoked. And, but I kind of quickly learned after the first year that, uh, I don't know, people were just hesitant, weren't quite sure on it yet. Yeah, it took a while. So I think first year numbers were kind of sitting 75 uh, average race. Then the second year, they kind of crept up to 100, 150. And then I backed away from the series after year two because I had launched Trans New Zealand, Trans BC, and I was just getting buried. Mm-hmm. Um, but by third year, um, I was still kind of helping a bit. But yeah, numbers were growing to 250, I guess, at, at a bunch of races. But yeah. Well, and, and also like proven concept. There's also the EWS going on. There's like a, that's the World Series. There's trans uh, events throughout the world as well. So enduro, at, you know, it just it all grew really fast. So that must have something to do with representative numbers, is that right? Yeah, you know what? I'm not I'm not really sure because the market that I was after was really just the grassroots. I wasn't looking for people that were looking to travel to EWS races or national type level. I was just looking for those people that want to come out ride a new location, drink some beer, meet some new friends. So that was kind of always the market that I wanted to try to, to hit. Just, I just, yeah, provide the opportunity for people to travel somewhere new and, and just have a good time. Yeah. <laughs> I told myself that I was going to crack a beer as soon as you actually brought up the word beer. So. I know. Cheers. Oh, nice. That's what we're supposed to be doing at Talk Yeti, yeah. drinking beers. Anyway, that was, it. that was part of the contract. I think it was like we expected to drink beers. 
I want to paint this picture though, because this is where I got to know you. And it was like, this was your, um, this is the vibe that was following you. Megan, you bought a travel, like you were living in North Vancouver when this started, but you bought a travel trailer and then just traveled around BC, right? Once I realized I was taking 10 events on and not five, I kind of realized that I was in a different town every second week. So <laughs> I bought this 1992 little 18 foot travel trailer and basically loaded up and spent, I guess it was about three full summers on the road. Um, Living in the travel trailer. Town and yeah, <laughs> it was pretty, it was a pretty wild two to three years. But how much do you think that contributed to like what you've always done a good job at is bringing the community together. And like, I, I can only, like, that's even how I met you. You, you reached out to me coming through Revelstoke. You're like, yeah, I need to, I need somewhere to park my trailer for a bit. You want to go for a ride? Show me the best rides in Revelstoke. Uh, how often did that happen at these, these towns? That was, uh, that was pretty frequent, which was, uh, there were so many incredible people that we've met along the way. And, and that's really kind of how and why it all started is people like yourself and people just in these communities and just excited to, to showcase their trails to other people and just say, Hey, come, I want you, I want to show you what we have. And they're all trying to, yeah, just be, be proud of what they have in their communities. And yeah, it, I mean, I can't even begin to describe the amount of amazing people that I've met along the way and supportive and, and I, and I guess a little hesitation at the very beginning was before the first event started was, you know, you, everything's, everything's email correspondence and somebody probably just thinks that I'm working for this company, BC Endurance mm-hmm. started and, you know, dealing with sponsors and dealing with uh, different community members. And, and there was that initial thought, and I clearly remember it driving to the first event going, okay, so at what point are people going to see that this is just a, a, a woman, a girl running this event? Um, you know, does does this have a kind of a stigma of something that that you know everyone's just expecting a guy is running it? And yeah, from the get go, that whole thought was just washed away because everyone could kind of see just the atmosphere around it that I was trying to create and just trying to build this um, fun kind of non race like series. And everyone was just willing to lend a hand and was stoked to kind of just see it come to life. And and so just from the support from the very first event was. Uh, it was, yeah, it, it's something that I'll always remember. I think what I love what you said earlier too, there's almost more demand to get on. This is, and you refer to the trans BC series, but it's the same thing with the, the trans enduro, the community just wanted to help you out. Like there was almost more demand to volunteer or has that been that way from the start? I guess, uh, the volunteer aspect really came a lot with the, with the trans uh, New Zealand and Trans BC. Definitely, there was always more than enough um, volunteers coming out for BC Enduro Series, but it's just a whole different aspect when someone's coming to volunteer for seven days at a trans race where, you know, you're living and breathing with each other seven days a week and it just creates that different vibe. Um, and then everyone just becomes friends and, you know, everyone just looks forward to that uh, adult summer camp and coming to see all of their friends. Oh, yeah, I would really got to get a trans BC because that, that is the ultimate. But even just before that, like my first multi-day enduro, actually, I hate to say this, probably my first enduro that you put on. I think I helped you a lot with just showing trails in Revelstoke or maybe even hooking up to ride uh, elsewhere. Um, you're bouncing around to all these these towns and you're basically picking the most badass routes. And then the one I went on was Retallic, which is just like world renowned for like shuttling and downhill riding. And the first day, pouring rain, 
on-site racing, like on-site course. And then just like, I think it even snowed the second day. It was like, I mean, I can see that because it's an operation. How do you, I guess what I'm getting at is like, how did you pick some of these? You've got a reputation of finding the gnarliest trails. Is that what you go into finding? Like Retallic as a venue, Revelstoke as a venue? Or are you trying to find the most badass courses? Like doesn't matter if it's trans series or the enduro series. I don't know if it's necessarily about trying to find the most badass trails. It's more, it's more just stuff that I like to ride, like stuff that really gets me psyched, puts a smile on my face, and and just challenges me. And so I just, I kind of just have always picked it. If I'm having an absolutely great time and this trail just stokes me, then I just feel like everyone else would get that same kind of vibe. Yeah, I don't know. Everyone loves to be challenged and. For me, as an event organizer, it just inspires me to be able to put in a whole bunch of challenging trails that I think other people that would would really enjoy. And I and I guess even even to the point that maybe some of this is above people's heads and they still do enter and they ride, they still have a great time. And you know whether people have to walk some stuff or not, they they're just stoked to be out there and seeing what's possible. And then they have a goal for next time to do better or whatever it might be. But but I don't know. I just think there's there's so many incredible riders throughout the world that it's just great to provide an opportunity for them to yeah explore new explore new trails to that level. I think one of the best things you do as an event organizer, and it sounds like it's directly correlated with you know how you like to ride. And I think like when a ride doesn't go well, you've got a type two or type three fun day, and you're pissed off, or say at an event you're pissed off for whatever reason. I love that your solution to it is like give them free beer. Just like doesn't matter what, we're gonna pre-plan this at the finish line. There's free beer. People are happy. It's gonna be a positive. If they're not, here's a free beer. (laughs) <laughs> Where did that come about? The free beer came about, to be honest, I was at uh, Transnoir helping out at their first couple of years of their event, just doing their timing. And they had a system where it was a super, super cheap beer. Like they had the beer cooler and they had a list of everyone's name on it. And you just put a little tally next to your name and it was like two bucks a beer or something. Uh, and at the end of the week, you tally up what you had and you paid for your beer. And then I kind of just took that concept and, and I think I did that same concept for the first year of Trans New Zealand. And then by the end of it, like the piece of paper's ripped or lost or people forget to tally. And then, and I mean, I'm someone that absolutely hates admin. So it's kind of a, it's like, well, just add an extra 20, 30 bucks to the already 2000 plus, you know, registration and let's just have free beer and there's less admin and people get stoked because they get to drink as much beer as they want at the finish line. And uh, I don't know. It's just a win-win. And who doesn't like to drink? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Here's like <laughs> Well put. Um, so, you know, the, the trans enduro series was a proven concept. There was other, sorry, not the, the, uh, the BC enduro series was uh, a proven concept. You decided to start trans New Zealand before trans BC. So what was it that, I guess, inspired you to to take things down the multi-day enduro rather than just the weekend uh, enduro vibe? Well, to be honest, that's where my heart was from the beginning. Like I was, I was wanting to create some kind of multi-day and the first idea was something around Squamish enduro style still. Uh, I mean, that's because that's where I lived in the, the sea to sky and I knew those trails so incredibly well, but I didn't know the interior. So I didn't really think to go, you know. I just had no connection to the interior. But then, you know, I, I knew the BC um, bike race guys pretty well, so I didn't really want to step on their territory. Something just didn't 
feel right about it. And somehow the BC Enduro series is where things started and that's just naturally where it progressed. But because, you know, I knew that the future-wise I did still want to get into that multi-day, New Zealand just seemed to be the next stepping stone because I had been spending a bunch of time down there and I just felt like it was ready and I knew the locations really well and everything fit. So it was just kind of a, a progression each year and and then after a couple of years of BC Enduro Series and then knowing the interior and seeing the possibilities and the incredible mountain towns, then it just seemed a no-brainer that that was the next destination for a multi-day. So, yeah, I just kind of went into that field and then passed on the BC Enduro Series to, to Ted Morton. Yeah, and so now I'm kind of doing where, you know, the two, two trans races where I kind of initially wanted to start with anyway. And you've always chosen the interior BC. Actually, you know what? Let's start out by it. The first year, uh, Trans BC, wa- was it just a classic BC summer? Beautiful, sunny days, epic, epic riding? Or what was the- <laughs> I'm asking you this knowing what the answer is. What was the weather like? <laughs> what were yeah. the logistics like yeah, the you know, first year? <laughs> it probably wasn't the best weather to start <laughs> the first Trans BC. And, and to be honest, I know that it ended up getting this reputation from the get-go that this Trans BC race was was incredibly hard and the trails chosen were really challenging but had the weather cooperated I think I think it wouldn't have got that status of the get-go just because yeah we got rain every day it's not like it was pouring every day but we got rain every day and the trails that were already going to be you know a good challenge now became quite hard and especially for those coming out of province that don't really ride steep wet routes and then uh yeah to finish the whole thing off we had an absolute torrential downpour and then some snow on the final day so yeah not not the best weather but uh everyone still had a great time and got challenged more than expected but i mean you know you're in bc it's all part of it's all part of the whole mountain biking stigma is is dealing with the weather that we get here well, let's paint the picture too on the the type of topography and I guess even geography of, of where these trails are. Like um, Trans BC always starts kind of roughly the beginning of July. There's no way to start it any earlier than that, right? Because it's like a lot of these tracks, like what's a, what's an average descent length in terms of vertical drop for some of these courses? Oh, it could range, I mean, anywhere from 2K to 7K, anywhere from 200 meter dropped to 1200 meter <laughs> um, yeah. well i mean i mean it's right the- uh that i mean it's exactly it that date is it's so hard to try to figure out because you know you don't want to be pushing too late and you're getting into the fire season and and the heat and then you don't want to come too early because you know yeah maybe 80 percent of the trail conditions going to be perfect then the other 20 percent you're up in the alpine and the trails haven't uh, melted off from the the winter melt yet so it's kind of a tricky game and it's a gamble every year of of what you're going to get i don't know if everyone knows that it's it's not the same course every year right like so you've taken everything you've learned from the bc enduro series some of the 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 towns that work really well, maybe trails that are getting built. Why did you decide not to do the same course every year? Uh, That's a good question. Um, Let's start with Trans New Zealand. It's going into its seventh year and pretty much it's the same, same every year. Um, Same location, same trails. And, you know, people, you're just getting new people every year. So really it's like, why do you need to change it when you've got, it's on everyone's bucket list and at some point, you know, they're going to do it and you may have 10% 
I just never expected much of a um, return rate because it's something that you'll do once and then you'll go find another trans race in the world to go experience. So that one stayed the same and that makes things super simple for me. Um, but BC, ah, it's a tough one. BC has so many options in the interior that you kind of want to showcase them all and you want to include them all and they all have different flavors. Um, but also having the States be a big market, there's a lot of people that come back year after year and having different locations and different courses, you know, provides that incentive that they want to do that. But uh, I guess another aspect is, is also you're just not overloading the communities. So you're just kind of spreading it around, spread the love, the different trails, and you're just not kind of pounding on the same communities every year and, and giving trails a rest. And yeah. I think what you said earlier sums it up perfect is you want to create mountain bike races and events that you want to do. Like if this was your ultimate trip, that's what you want to do. And I think you've got a, from what I can understand, you've got a, a winning formula in New Zealand. Like these are the things that line up, but BC has a lot of communities. Like you've spent now, has it been like eight years rolling around in a travel trailer, going to all these communities, riding all these trails. And you're now not, you're not just like, going to the most popular trail, you're opening up trails. (laughs) Like Megan, how far in advance? I think people need to know this is like, you're planning trails like two, three years in advance and you're opening up trails and you're, you're like helping develop and you're bringing money to these communities as well. Like these trails aren't the common normal trails, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like that tough line that you try to balance where, and I don't know, in my mind, it's you go to a community and sure, there's an amazing network um, that, that that are the go-tos that everybody comes and rides. But I don't know, I like just to try to create some kind of adventure and think about trails that maybe not be ridden that much or people don't really think about or trails that maybe, you know, shut down years ago and that need clearing back out again. So, yeah, I mean, there is definitely a mix there where some communities you're using kind of some of their main go-to places and then other communities, there's options to think outside the box. Um, and I mean, Nelson's one of them, you know, it's like, like I totally get it. If you're a community, you don't want your best, most favorite trail kind of beat down. So, you know, the, the local community will tell me, Hey, Hey, we're not super keen for you to race on this, 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 but you know, you can race on this, this, this. And some of the ones that they give are ones that the locals actually don't really like, and they may be too janky or just not looked after. And, and then I take that as an exciting avenue and be like, yeah, this is stuff that people want to see and race. And, um, you know, maybe do a bit of work to fix it up, but then you're also keeping the local community happy that you're staying off, you know, some of their more popular ones. So yeah, every community works different, but but yeah, just always trying to be creative and thinking of thinking of just different ideas that maybe people haven't thought of before. Well, I've even seen you mid race, like uh, the d- day of. It's like you know what that trail's not going to work, <laughs> so we're going to go on over it this way. <laughs> I'm sure you know for the most part you've had incredible um, connections with these communities, and that really does come from those first few years of traveling around with a tra- travel trailer. At this point now, you're probably reaching out to I, the first person I think of is like um, Panorama. Don't you have an interesting fellow in Pano that's doing some trail building with you? Yes, Jose. Um, <laughs> it's been incredible. But yeah, I mean, on on the note of of being able to build trails or do work, you know, there's there's always that line of you know we would I'd be able to to love to put a bunch more trails in, but you've got all of the policies that you need to go through and the um 
the local clubs that you that you work with, and you know it's quite the process to to add a trail anywhere um, within BC. But Panorama provided this incredible opportunity where you know you're, you're within the resort boundaries. So really, as long as they're on board with with new trails, then you know we kind of had a really good partnership there that. We did all the work to open trails up, um, but they benefit because, you know, they can, the public can use them for years to come. So, yeah, there, there were a whole bunch of trails that we explored uh, several years ago that were old, 100-year-old hunting trails, horse trails, whatnot. There's a cabin back there. And so we just one day we were just like, let's do it. And we went out to see the status and see what was there and see if they even existed anymore. And um, and we found some incredible stuff and, and we put Jose to work and got them cleared out and, and fixed up. And that was, uh, what we got to share everybody last year. That's kind of what it's like. You kind of have these connections and all these communities so that the event starts beginning of July, but for the most part, and I, just to paint the picture, like some of these starts is like, you know, I don't know if a day goes by without your, your bike being on your back, like you're hiking to the top of a freaking mountain and then you're riding down. But it's not like you can say, okay, it's spring, it's it's April out, I need to start, you know, cleaning these trails, getting them set up for the season. You basically have to get this set up the year before. Is that not right? Yeah, it is. Um, and it's always a game that I've struggled with, um, trying to keep ahead. But somehow it's it's worked for the most part. So yeah, a lot of those panorama stuff was kind of cleared out the the fall before, and Jose was working right until the snow hit, and he couldn't really dig anymore. Um, and then as soon as you know the snow melts in you know, late spring, he's back up there again. And and sometimes it is it's like a week out where it's like okay, that's the window that there is, um, and then you get in there and, and do what you can. So Trans BC has been called the world's most difficult multi-day enduro. How did that come about? Why do you think that's got that tag? I I don't know. I think I think it just came from the first few years. And I mean I don't even I'm not sure if that's accurate, but sure that's what people say. Um, and it's not something that I was ever out to try to achieve. Um, it's just trails chosen and what I think would excite people. And then I think what really took a spin on it is what we talked about before was the, the weather year one that upped the ante of everything. And then year two, there were, there were definitely some steeps thrown in there that, um, and some were literally decided the morning of like dead dog in golden. And I think there were just definitely a couple of key days where it was a dry, dusty conditions and some steeper avenues. And then it just got, so from there, it just kind of, kind of got its label. But I don't know. I think year one and two will probably were, were the hardest two years. I don't know whether. I love how casually yeah, you're putting this. Like What's that? De- Dead Dog in Golden used to have <laughs> a Red Bull sponsored race called Psychosis. It, it used to be called the world's, I, I don't know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to botch this, but it, it used to be like the world's hardest, longest downhill race. Yeah. And that's with like, this is like Sam Hill showed up with this, like full downhill gear. And here, like these people had to pedal up the damn thing. <laughs> Let's paint that picture correct. It was gnarly. <laughs> but but to be clear, people didn't have to do it. It wasn't an alternative line and it, or they could take the blue trail around. But if they if they chose to do it and they could ride it, they would save a good chunk of time. If they decided to ride, if they decided that to take that option, but 
couldn't ride it, like ended up, you know, if it was too steep for them, then they would have lost a bunch of time. So it was actually quite an entertaining spin to, th- to throw on that morning because just everyone's up there. Well, are you doing it? I don't know what you're doing it. Well, if you do it, I'll do it. I, think I have to do it. And the tension was just building between everyone. And it was actually quite entertaining to watch. Oh yeah, you sent a like you sent a couple pro, probe riders down. Be like, hey, what is it like? Are the conditions okay? The conditions were primo, and it was like green light. And that's it. I, like I think I'd called it off. I didn't even put it in the briefing. And then there were actually a bunch of local public uh, riders riding that morning. I was like, how's it riding? They said, oh my god, it's primo. I'm like, I get back in. Totally, it's back in. Yeah. But Megan, like how many people that actually sign up for this race really care about their stage times? Like, I, like I, I'm, I'm asking this thinking that there's very few people that are truly like needing to, to save seconds here and there. Are people signing up to win this thing? No, there's, I don't know what my guess would be. Maybe, maybe 10% really care um, and are going for like the top contenders. The other 90% are really there just for a good time explore new areas, meet new people, challenge themselves, have an excuse to come ride trails of BC and more so just have a whole week of, of riding organized for them where they don't have to literally do anything. Um, I think that's the biggest thing is just tell them an airport to fly into and that's all they have to do and think about. And then they just get to ride their bike for the week. So I think that's probably 90% of the people are the reason that they come and do it. But this is what's so cool. And I, I think this is why like from the first time you told me about this, I'm just like, this is this makes so much sense because um, I was looking to to travel over. I don't know. To, I want to explore my bike. So, like, say I want to go on a vacation. I want to bring my bike. I've never been interested in hiring a, a guide somewhere else because it's like I'm a little worried that the a the guide and also the other people signing up aren't going to be at the level that I want to ride at or mm-hmm. you know the trails that I want to ride. I basically like I'm hearing you basically say. When you show up to Trans BC, the guarantee is you're going to ride the best trails in those six days. And you're also going to ride it with people that are the same vibe as you. Like the time doesn't seem to matter so much for people. It's like, you're going to ride the best trails in BC. That right there is a statement. BC is known throughout the world of some of the best riding. And now you can just show up and you're kind of getting the locals knowledge. Is that how you see it? Uh, it, it is. Yeah. And it's kind of one of those where I kind of shot myself in the foot a little bit because, I mean, essentially, if I wasn't doing this, I'd be going to race every other tra- trans race in the world because, I mean, for one, you yeah, you get to go explore a new country of trails um, that you've never been to before. Uh, you don't have to organize everything. You, you know that you're going to be riding the best trails that they've selected. And you get to basically blind race, which I think is an incredible aspect. I think it's one of my favorite things to do. Um, so now I end up, you know, running two of these and then they clash with a whole bunch of other trans races in the world. So unfortunately I don't get to go to a lot, but, but I'm slowly taking them off, being able to kind of get out there and do it myself as well. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a special concept. You said blind racing. So the EWS, the world series has turned into, I mean, now it's like UCI sanctioned. Most of the athletes that show up for that, which are obviously you know, the world series, so it's pros, they, they, they land, they spend a week, they walk the course, they have one chance to pre-ride it. And then they've got this GoPro. And then they, you know, obviously it's like a, a race, like a downhill race. Yes. They only, this is only their second time to race in the EWS, but what is blind racing? How would you sum that up? Well, literally just riding a trail for the first time uh, and going as fast as you can, um, <laughs> as well as fast as you're comfortable with. So yeah, it's just about reading 
reading the trail ahead, um, making choices on the fly. And I don't know, I, I find for me personally, and I know it's what a lot of other people say too, is uh, you just feel like you write a whole lot better because you don't really know what's coming up and you're in the moment before you even know what it is and then you're through it and then you're super pumped and excited because you just got through something that you probably wouldn't have wrote if you had looked at it. But then you also know that you've got someone, you know, dropping in behind you and you've got someone in front that you're chasing. So you just have this, this extra level of, uh, I don't know, adrenaline to make you to do more things than what you normally would. But, you know, verse if you were to walk a line or pre-write a line and look at it and you know what features are coming up, then you, you start to overthink things and then you, you know, you're getting concerned or may not write something because you know what it is. But I mean, if you're just reading it on the fly and as I said, you're through it before you even know, people get to the bottom of stages and they're just psyched because they just can't believe what they've just literally what they just wrote. And it kind of feels like a little bit more of an even playing field. Earlier, you said that you're not catering to the big name pro riders. And is that part of it? Yeah. Um, as in terms of... Um, not encouraging them to come along or what do you mean? Well, yeah, I guess it's just like, you know, part of the vibe that you said is like, you just, you're efficient. Again, like that's like a big piece of this. So it's like, I see these races as just being, no, you can't pre-ride. And I think you even say in your package there, like yeah, you find, yeah, you find out the night before you're not allowed to take a look at any of the, the trails. And it, it kind of makes it that great equalizer where there's no one has like a home court advantage. Would you say that? Like, even I'm even thinking about myself. I, I raced last year. I didn't really feel like I had a home court advantage. I didn't know any of these trails. And I and I kind of like that. Like, I mean, as we touched on earlier, to say that you know every year is kind of different, and we're not using the same trails, communities, whatnot. But but definitely, you know, it's it's four years deep, and and we've hit the same communities, you know, a couple of times. But the exciting part is is you know if someone raced the year before and it's say Fernie, and then they're coming back again or maybe they're from the area, you know, we've set a whole different course for that same community. So people can get also, you know, they have an expectation of they think they know what it's going to be or may, may be local and, and ride those trails. But then, you know, they just get surprised when you choose a whole complete different network of trails. Um, and that was kind of a panorama too. It's, uh, you know, we'd race there the year before and then we go back there and now it's two days instead of one day and, and literally we're not really touching on any of the same trails. So it's kind of exciting to be able to do that. And then also, yeah, have those those people, everybody being on the same playing field and running blind. The logistics seem so dialed. What makes it a little bit different like than a Trans-Cascadia or Trans-Provence? What, what have you, like, how would you sum up what's different with TransVC in terms of the logistics and accommodation? Um, I mean, I think any event like this, the logistics always are pretty full on. But from the get-go in regards to the package and the overall feel is I just was not going to do camping. And I'm not really exactly sure where that came from. And I've done BC Bike Race a few times before and had a great time and that's camping. But somehow in my mind, I just, from the get-go, I just wanted to be doing proper accommodation. And, and a lot of the people that do this, you know, your average is people in your 30s, 40s, 50s. And, you know, I think people really just appreciate a bed at the end of the day. You know, year one when when it you know you're rain it's raining every day and people are coming home wet and they're cold. Um, the last thing you want to do is try to dry clothes out and then sleep in a wet tent and try to start things over. So now you know in this event they get to go back to their room and have a hot tub and put their clothes in the dryer, wash and dry, and get all ready for the next day. And it just is just a whole different level of enjoyment. I think, you know, it's not really about being out there to suffer. It's just, just having a good time and being comfortable. 
<laughs> and free beer. Well, you know what's cool is like it, it seems like you're capitalizing on this opportunity of you know half the places that we stay are ski resorts. So you know a lot of the resorts, yeah, they're doing summer, but it's nowhere near as busy as the the winter. So there's there's infrastructure in place. How many people sign up for the Trans BC? A cap at 160, uh, and that's 120 that I deal with on the all inclusive, and then the other 40 are your self-support package or what I call the dirtbaggers and they just come in their camper vans, tents, however they choose to and um, just show up to, to this trailhead every day to race. And what I love is you said it earlier is like you literally just show up. Like actually you show up to the airport, there's transportation there, get transported to the start venue. It could be like, I was thinking Fernie, that was, that was the first year I, I helped out. You build your bike, food's there, big chat next day. It's just like, you don't even have to think you just follow these little arrows and you get to the top and you just ride all day. And it really is comfortable. Show up. Can't say that. Can't say it enough free beer at the end. And then it's like, whether you transport or whatever, it's like, it is just all there. So from your perspective, like who else does a good job at the trans? Cause I mean, I've only done the trans BC. Is there, is there another trans event that uh, you think is, is as dialed as this? They all have a great product and they all have their own attributes and cultures. I feel like I've got to most of them. Transavoir, Cascadia, uh, Madeira. What else is there? Like there's another one. I mean, I mean, BC Bike Race for XE back in the day. They, yeah, I mean, it's, they're, they're just all different and they just have different avenues of, of the way they work things, um, the way transports runs, the camping system. And all the other ones are Sierra Norte. I mean, and that's Mexican. Yeah. So then, you know, you've got, you're going down there to, to not expect a completely dialed event and something that's not on time because it's Mexico. And so, you know, you just roll with it and, and it's all a part of the experience. So it's kind of not necessarily comparing one to the other, but the aspect that I, that I would love to do on another trans race is one that does provide accommodation. Cause I, I don't know, I guess I've just got soft in my day and camping for seven days doesn't super excite me when you're racing every day. and you're riding wet trails. <laughs> well, it's the truth too. And, and to be able to get that refresh, it's just like, you just see people. It's like, they're just exhausted. These are, these are big days and that food's provided. And it's like, you can have that shower. And honestly, it's like, there's no, like you're too tired to set up a tent. And like the first year it could snow. <laughs> you never know what you're going to get. So the, the accommodation makes it that the beer buzz only lasts for so long, you know, and let's be clear. I want to be really clear with this on the, the trends. Like Megan, not only do you go over and race these trends is you're basically winning a lot of these, like you're on the podium pretty damn every time you go to a trans race, what does it take to do really well at a multi-day enduro? I would say this consistency. Yeah, it's probably the biggest thing. And I mean, some people are really good at riding blind and, and some people come from a background where they just really not like to know and need the confidence of what's ahead of them. So kind of just get a, yeah, just struggle a little bit more on that aspect. But, and, and I'm not sure where it came from, but I just, I just absolutely love riding a trail for the first time. And I guess that's what, what excites me and kind of keeps me going. But, but yeah, I mean, I can't go super fast, but I can kind of get out there and ride all day. And that's kind of always just been the background. And that's maybe just from doing all the exploring and scouting and adventuring. And, and it's just that, that aspect of, yeah, I don't get my heart rate up super high that often, but um, you know, I can just kind of tick along and, and get through back to back days pretty comfortably, maybe not anymore, but yeah. <laughs> I want you to kind of sum up what the vibe is like, and it's pretty cool what you've created. 
We've often called it the summer camp for adults. Um, just to paint this picture, like Megan, you asked me to come. It was I, I volunteered for the first two years, and it was it was badass. Like I'm volunteering with these. Also, like the the volunteers are professionals. There's like Stu Dixon, Adam Craig, Tom Bradshaw, even Sarah Raleigh. Why is it the summer camp for adults? I mean that it it truly is that's that that's the way to put it. And that's I mean, as our forty person volunteer team, um, really that's what it is. It's uh, you know, people are from all over BC, all over the state, some people from further around the world. And and to be honest, and whether it's just that one group that seemed to jive from the beginning, but I mean I see it at Trans New Zealand as well, is that everyone just wants to come back year after year. And so you know mm-hmm. you've got a team of forty and I think from last year to this year, you know, 38 were signed back up again, only allowing two spots for new people to get in. Um, and then when when they do have to give it up for some reason, that super concerned because like, well, if I give my spot up, I'm not going to be able to get it back. But everyone's just excited to get together and ride bikes and drink at the end of the day, explore all the different locations every year. Um, and they just have a really tight bond. Uh, yeah, it's just something that's super special to see. And, you know, I, I guess I was super sad this year because I didn't get to – we didn't get to have that mm. – I'm a camp for adults and I didn't get to see the team, but we have a, we have a WhatsApp thread going that meant to be the, <laughs> the event. Are we allowed to talk about this? Are we allowed yeah. to talk about the WhatsApp? <laughs> <laughs> so our 40 person team has a WhatsApp group and that's the way to communicate during the week of where everybody's at, who's doing what. But I mean, it's over a year later and that group chat is still going and it literally is every other day. Someone's putting a message on there, maybe not so relevant, but, but yeah, it's just that, it's such a tight group of friends and it's, and yeah, it's, it's it sad to miss it this year. But it's so large, this community, like, um, I was riding in, in Colorado this summer and I just reached out to Hightower, who's, who's part of the volunteer team. And it's just like, he just has me in like, I'm a best friend, just like you would at a summer camp as a kid. It's like that one week, the connections and the inside jokes and the, everything that you have, there's nothing else like that. Summer camp is the best way of putting it. I was even stopped in Portland once where some guy's like, oh, it's Marty. You were the one playing that like ZZ Top song at the top of my stage. You just made my entire weekend. I was like, I didn't recognize this guy at all. <laughs> How you can travel around and it's just like, it really brings the entire like international community together. I don't, I don't see that in skiing. I don't see that in surfing. And so I'm only assuming that the energy that you we've gotten from the trans BC, the trans New Zealand, you're going to make another trans. So Megan, you seem to be a step ahead on all these things. Is this going to be, what do I call it? Is there a triple crown or what's next? Trans Tasmania was launched, I guess about a month ago, but in the state of the world of COVID, we're not quite sure what that looks like just yet. Yeah. It kind of, I mean, for quite a few years, the balance of Trans New Zealand and Trans BC has been incredible. And after coming off being buried with BC Enduro Series and all that, it was really nice trying to find a nice life balance. But somehow I got persuaded into a Tasmania idea. And yeah, here it is. I think it took about a year for me to embrace it. Definitely a lot of people were in my ear about it. So yeah, in February this year, I decided, well, you know what, I'll just go ride and see what it's like and then make a decision. And then within that week of being there, meeting all the different people and the community members and riding the trails. And within that week, I kind of flew out of there going, well, yeah, okay. So Trans-Tasmania is going to be happening next year. 
in the past, a lot of the volunteers and athletes have done both the New Zealand and BC. Are you going to expect that the, the Tasmania, you're going to see the same? In terms of volunteers, did you say, or racers? Oh, volunteers and racers. Like the, the racers yeah. come back year after year. On the back of my bathroom door, I have the Trans New Zealand um, sign-up list for the volunteer team. And there's probably <laughs> about <laughs> five on there from Trans BC and New Zealand people. But that, that I mean, that may change. Like it's going into what's happening for the future and COVID. I mean, we don't really know yet. So it really depends on who's going to be able to get where. And, and maybe it, it could be a whole fresh new team um, and then in terms of races it might not be open to the to the entire world for mm-hmm. year one we'll kind of see kind of seeing how this plays out anyone can jump online and take a look at the the media to this like what stuff like the videos that ben duke does usually does it like the night before or all the photos that are taken paints a pretty good picture but this is like me saying to the world i live in bc i worked as a forest firefighter for years i helped clean some trails i've always traveled around and still in my backyard, you put together the best days. Sure, there was some trails, maybe one or two in the in six days that I, I've, I've ridden before, but I didn't remember it. Do you think that you can find enough people in BC and New Zealand and Australia to to fill? Because this is different, right? Do you think enough people, did you think enough people get it that this is like, even if you're from here, it is it is like seeing your own backyard in a new way? Good question. I guess I guess the time will tell for <laughs> over the next year. Trans New Zealand going into its seventh year. Yeah, I mean it normally sells out the day it opens, and it's normally eighty percent international, twenty percent New Zealand. And I mean that just goes to show that people want to explore other countries that they live in. But yeah, registration for that just opened uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I'm trying to run with a New Zealand rider only event um, since everyone's still in lockdown. But it, I mean it, it is a very good question because. I am only at 45 signups for 100 and what I normally get, 120 spots. So now it's a matter of of seeing, yeah, seeing each country and seeing how much people want to ride within their own country or maybe they've never thought about it before, but now we need to start making ways for them to, to think about reasons to do it. And then opening up Trans Australia at this point, it may be Australian only, but I have... <laughs> Ironically, over 300 people signed up on the pre-interest list, just Australian only. So clearly that one's going to be okay. And then the next question will be BC. Like is is BC, Canada going to be open to the rest of the world by next July? I'm not sure. So we'll find out if we can get enough uh, Canadians, you know, that are interested to keep the event going. Yeah, it's definitely an unknown question. I don't know if I want to do the volunteer or race again, because they're both <laughs> presented with great times, but there's no question. It's like, I'm coming back to summer camp. You definitely have my vote. <laughs> if it needs to be an entrance, then I'm in. I know so many people in BC. I think there's so much potential for people that haven't even raced before. It's just a summer camp. And if you don't like summer camp, then you're not allowed to come. <laughs> Can I say that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, I mean, now we've got three. I mean, where, where are you going to stop? Is it going to be Trans Colorado or are you going to no, just no, no. keep going internationally uh, here? <laughs> yeah, I'm not really sure what the idea was, but my, my thought was roll with all three for one or two years, kind of see how things play out. You know, as I said, I don't really change things and mix it up for New Zealand. So I was just going to kind of let that fizzle out once the numbers drop, but the numbers just kind of seemed not to drop. So we'll just kind of keep rolling with it as long as people are interested in doing it. Yeah, I think at this point, if COVID allows all three to go ahead, 
then I'll just start bringing on some contract work and getting people to help out in the various countries and do some of the groundwork and kind of go from there and see what happens. Well, what do you think? If, you, if someone wins the, the triple crown of trans, what, uh, is that, should that be a thing? Should that be like a statement or does that not even matter? Is this just all know. about like I you just win the most fun? <laughs> yeah, I, I'd thought about creating something to do with that. I mean, no one's going to race all three in one year, obviously, for time off costs and all of that. You know, keep track of it over, over the years and see who's consistent. Uh, I don't really know. Just bragging rights, really. I love that. It doesn't need to be a title. It doesn't need to be a medal. I mean, it just needs to be a good time. And that's it. I'm kind of against prize money for trans events. There's a couple that do it. And I just kind of don't really agree with the concept because it's not really about that. I mean, they don't even get real trophies at at Trans New Zealand and Trans BC. I kind of be creative and I make up toilet roll holder plaques or bottle opener plaques or something that they can use. But still shows that, you know, they finished on the podium at one of the trans races. No, oh, I'm proud. I, I want a cunning board for getting second. And it's just like, I have it in my camper. I'm like, I was ro- rolling around Colorado. It's just like, people are like, oh, yeah, trans BC. I'm like, proud. It's like, you know, a medal. Where does that end up? In a drawer? I know, exactly. But it's like, cutting board? That's with me every day. Well, Megan, it sounds like you've got 80 tabs to go on. You've got a really busy um, uh, and a whole lot of uncertainty what's happening. You are uh, also an Australian resident or, or citizen. So you can you can go to Tasmania. I think you can still go to New Zealand. So you're planning, even if the borders aren't open, right now the events are open, New Zealand and Tasmania for registration. Is that right? New Zealand is open and it's open to New Zealanders only. And if we get enough numbers, that is pretty much a go. I just need to get into the country and do my two-week quarantine. Exciting stuff. Then Tasmania will probably open registration in March next year for a November event. And then I guess just seeing what borders and whether that's just open to Australian only at that point or whether we can open it to the rest of the world. And then same with TransBC. Everyone that cancelled from this year is uh, transferred to next year. And then by about March, we'll kind of make a call to see whether we have to make that a Canadian only and refund the international riders or whether it's open for them to come. Or we're going to just start building the tunnel to the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> well, Megan, <laughs> thanks so much for your energy you brought to the cycling community. It's amazing how much of a connector you are. Thank you for the connections. I can go anywhere in the world and have a connection from Trans BC. It's the connection we've made. And uh, it's really cool what you've created. Megan, the wizard behind the curtain has single-handedly put together some of the most epic days of riding right in my backyard. If you haven't had the opportunity to race one of Megan's races, I highly, highly suggest doing so, or at least get on the volunteer list. The connections that Megan has facilitated and friendships that have forged are ones that I'm thankful and stoked for. This was a fun one, you guys, and I look forward to the next one. Until next time, Yeti Nation, you know what to do. Keep her pinned. And no cool guy vibes. Not welcome.